Hi, I'm Josh Van Berkel. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. Okay, so we're, um, we're back at, at the movies um, for those who might be visitors. Um, my name is Mike, not Mr. Rob. Uh, you can call me Mr. Rob when you know you're in trouble with me. But apart from that, no, call me Mike. Josh, you're okay. I'm in trouble now, aren't you? Yeah, you're in trouble now. <laughs> Mr. Rob, seriously? Wow, that's creepy. Anywho, um, so at the movies um, is where we're going, and I chose a clip that um, is near to my heart for a whole lot of reasons, which I'll kind of, I'll give you a little bit of background and go into that um, as we go through it, but just before we do, I want to stick up this little, okay, that was not intended, let's go back one more, and let's try it again, one click. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was um, a German theologian, and most people know of him after his death. He was part of a movement in Germany, um, particularly when um, Nazism and Adolf Hitler was rising to power in the late 30s and through into the 40s, and he was violently opposed to just um, the genocide that was taking place and the treatment of um, Jews and other people who were not considered true Aryan People And so he entered into a plot as a theologian to assist in some ways the gathering of information for people in order to assassinate Hitler and stop this evil. So we won't go into the moral and ethics of that as a Christian being involved in that assassination plot, but suffice to say, um, he gave his life, he was executed literally days before the uh, American troops came and liberated Um, He'd been in prison for a while, but they decided when the Americans were on the doorstep, um, you're done, and they finished him off. Um, And I like that he, just as part of his writings, and he's a great writer from someone in the 40s, I don't mean he was lacking in intelligence, but he was really understanding humanity, and even humanity in 2020, when he wrote that God is not ashamed um, of the lowliness And I've got this on here, but it's turned itself off. God is not ashamed of the lowliness of human beings. God marches right in, and he chooses people as his instruments and performs his wonders where one would least expect them. God is near to lowliness. He loves the lost, the neglected, the unseemly, the excluded, the weak, and the broken. And, um, you know, and he understood that, and that was his driving passion. He understood the heart of God for those lost and lonely, the neglected, the unseemly, the excluded, the weak, etc., etc. He understood that well, that this is God's heart. This is why God entered into humanity to start with, to be with those people. And you look at that list there, and I look out on um, the congregation this morning, I see you. And I see you in this list in different ways, and God sees you as well. But thank him that he entered in to that humanity. I want to show this clip, but before I do, it's always important with movies to give context. Um, Some movies, um, if a clip is shown, I may say, this is for the clip. I don't recommend the whole movie because your sensibilities might be offended by my choice of movies. This one, I would probably say, is pretty safe for most people. Partly because it was 1986, and that's a terrible indictment on how society is progressing, or regressing, whichever way you want that. But the context is, this movie was produced in 1986, and about that time, 
uh, Josh's mum and dad, and, and Josh's mum is here today, Kathy. So Kathy and Nick, they'd, had, they'd bought a house after they got married. We were friends since we were engaged couples, right? So we're going back 40 plus years, but um, maybe 42 years. But anyway, 40 plus years, and um, they had this house, one of those Lockwood sort of kitset homes on Fleet Street in Christchurch here, and they decided it was time to move up and move out because one, Nick loved the beach and he wanted to be closer to the beach, but also um, because their family was increasing because, you know, they got busy. But anyway, so they needed a bigger house. And they just bought this house on Rocking Horse Road, and it was a two-story house, quite a big one, and it was down this lane on Rocking Horse Road, and it was just, I think, maybe one house up this driveway from the estuary um, down at South Shore. So it was pretty cool. And you could walk over the road and through a little track, and Nick would be burning himself to a crisp on the beach. But anyway, they'd just bought this house when this, approximately anyway, around the time that this movie came out. And Nick and I and Kathy and Ruth, we sat down to watch this movie, and the movie synopsis really is that this lovely young couple like Nick and Kath were... 42 years ago, um, they were madly in love and they bought this house and it was just an amazing house and it was kind of one of the houses of their dreams and they were really excited about it. And like this movie synopsis, Tom Hanks and um, what was the lady's name? Thank you, Shelley Long. Um, they were madly in love. They bought this house. It was in a magnificent looking mansion and it was at a price that was unbelievably cheap and they just could not believe how God was smiling on them and... Uh, you know, and they got this amazing house. And so, but then they moved in. And sometimes things are not what they appear. And all I'll say is that when Nick and Kathy were watching this film with us and they just purchased this house on Rocking Horse Road, Nick had a phrase that he used quite a lot and it was like, sheesh. And that's what he said he says watching that movie. And I could just about see the little sweat beads on his upper lip. What have we done? So that's, that's the context of the movie clip, which I hope will play now. Well, the turkey's done. So is the kitchen. Actually, it's a little overdone for my taste. Let's not go there again. You don't want to tell me what happened? No, I don't. I just want to relax in a nice lukewarm bath. What about this? I don't think that can hurt us anymore. feeling? That's a four and a half minute clip of about an hour and a half movie. Um, it's not pretty. Um, if you want to get it, you, can uh, you may be able to pick it up somewhere on a DVD, perhaps at one of the older DVD stores, um, but you can get it on YouTube for about $7.50. You can hire it, and the $7.50 you can download it, and you can watch it uh, to your heart's content. Uh, it's worth watching. This young lady here, 
Um, her name is Rachel, uh, Rachel Held Evans, and she's written quite a lot of stuff. She's from the state. She's written a lot of stuff about the um, marginalised, etc. And she said, this is what God's kingdom is like. It's a bunch of outcasts and oddballs gathered at a table, not because they're rich or they're worthy or good, but because they're hungry, because they said yes, and there's always room for more. And uh, again, she understands the heart of God and that it's so invitational. Um, Rachel Held Evans also said, there's a difference between curing and healing. I believe the church is most often called to the slow and difficult work of healing. We are called to enter into one another's pain, anointed as holy, and stick around, no matter what the outcome Rachel Held Evans, 1981 to 2019. She died at 38 years of age of brain tumours. She knew what she was talking about. And church, this is one of the values of what God is wanting to build as a church, is that we are people that good or bad or ugly stuff that's happening in our lives, that we are in it for the long haul and we stick around. No matter the outcome, because this is what God does for us. He sticks around. Jesus said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said that for us, because that's often the cry of humanity. But we know that it was not reality. Barbara Johnson and I'm, I'm showing my age here. She passed away in 2007 um, at 80 years of age. Barbara Johnson produced this ministry called Spatula Ministries, which is still going on well in a few of my you know, prime of life. Um, then you may have read some of her books. Primarily, I guess they were written for women, but um, they were way bigger than, than that. And most of those, you may have recognized the titles if you're older. If you haven't, I put all the titles up there not to advertise the books because I don't even know if you can find them now unless you go onto eBay or something. But um, I like the titles because it says so much about attitude when you're going through life and stuff happens. Stick a geranium in your hat and be happy. That's kind of the one that I guess first came out and some of you remember. Splashes of joy in the cesspools of life. How do you like that? In the cesspool of your life, if you look for them, God is still going to show you splashes of joy. Pack up your gloomies in a great big box, then sit on the lid and laugh. You know, sometimes that's all you can do. You can't fix the gloomies sometimes. Sometimes you can't get rid of the gloomies. All you can do is pack them in a big black box, not deny that they exist, and sit on the lid and laugh. Mama... Get the hammer, there's a fly on Papa's head. You know, sometimes there's problems in life and it needs extreme answers. I'm so glad you told me what I didn't want to hear. You know, sometimes the truth of the situation or the remedy of the stuff we're going through is not easy. Sometimes it's actually really difficult stuff. Thank you for telling me. I'm so glad that you told me what I didn't want to hear. Um, those are some of the titles. And so Barbara Johnson also recognised that life can be difficult. And uh, this passage of scripture has come up 
I don't know about other churches, but certainly around um, Activate, and I also heard that Salvation Army's using it this year. I don't know why. Maybe they all meet for coffee and they discussed it and it spread that way. Maybe it's more than that, but it's a great passage of Scripture, and I put it in three translations, not to read the whole thing out for you. You can just kind of glance at it. There's similarities and differences. Um, but the only thing I really want to point out is forget the former, forget what's happened, but forget all that. I want to draw that out. Forget all of that, forget the former, forget what's happened. Doesn't mean you literally forget about it because that's stupid, right? Experience is the name we give to our mistakes, so we need to kind of remember these things. But don't be so focused or so caught up in dwelling on that that you do not see the new thing that God is trying to do. Because sometimes when you've gone from this and you're heading to goodness knows where, nobody knows except God and he hasn't told you yet, in the middle it can seem like this is worse than it ever was. You know, this is a messy place in the middle and um, it's worse than if I hadn't even started this journey. Um, some years ago, I had a couple of dreams a few nights in a row, and I get the dream things now and again. One of the dreams was there was a brown sparrow just kind of sitting on the ground, and God said, um, look at that sparrow. I says, yeah, yeah, cool, nice little brown house sparrow, awesome. And he says, no, 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 look again, look again. And so I looked again, and something happened to my vision where it not only became crystal clear, but my vision had the ability to see more shades and subtle hints of color than you would ordinarily see. So instead of it being a brown and gray sparrow, there was probably about 50 shades, from reds, rusty reds through to browns to little golden hints in it and grays and whites and silvers, and it was magnificent. When he said, no, look again. Another time I had a dream a few days uh, later, and I was standing out in a field, and there was these trees in the distance. Um, I think they were oak trees, and they were waving in the breeze, and they had these beautiful big green leaves on them, and I could see them hundreds of meters away across this field. And God said, look at the trees. Yeah, they're gorgeous. Yeah, cool. No, 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 look at the trees. And I looked, and something happened like microscopic vision, uh, telescopic vision, sorry, or microscopic, I'm not sure which, because I didn't get any closer. The trees didn't zoom in close. They were still away out there and little, but somehow I could see every leaf on every tree. I could see the fine veins going through all of those leaves as well, and I could actually see the process of the chlorophyll that was going on and everything that was being produced in that whole process of, what's the word? Photosynthesis, thank you, I knew it was something like that. I could literally see it flowing through the veins of the leaves and this product happening. And sometimes God is saying to us, you know what, forget about what's happened. Forget the former things. Not that you forget that it existed and you don't know about it, because that's denial and that's dangerous too. right? But it's don't focus on that, focus on the new thing, because he says, can you not perceive it? Do you not perceive it? Can you not see it? There it is. And sometimes in the middle of stuff, we've got to look again. That's all I'm trying to say. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, good. Sweet. So if I scroll through here to where I'm meant to be, we can move on. 2 Corinthians 12.9 But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power 
may rest on me. Now, we all know that one. Oh, cool, I get that. But what if we change the word weakness to mess? What might that look like if we change the word weakness to mess? But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in mess. I will boast all the more about my messes because, or so that Christ's power may rest on me. Because a lot of the messes we get ourselves into are because of our weaknesses and our faults and our lack of understanding. Or sometimes it's just that stuff happens. But you don't have the ability to get out of the mess because of your weakness. And the only way you're going to get out of this mess is if God fully enters into the mess with you and walks through it with you and helps you get out of it. And if you watch the money pit, um, you may see a whole lot of different things that happen where you say, oh yeah, gee, maybe God was helping them with the money pit. How deep is the mess you are in? Well, it depends on who you are. We all go through messy stuff differently, right? What might, make, might feel like you're up to your neck, someone else will say, oh, yeah, I've been through the same thing. It was a bit of a stroll in the park, really. Whereas someone else may look and say, I don't know what you're going on about. This is not a big deal. But the other person can say, I'm drowning here. It all depends on who you are. And I'd like to suggest, and um, Nick and Kathy love golden retrievers as well. That is a golden retriever, right? Oh, thank goodness. I thought for a moment, maybe it's not, but I... You mean the one on the right? <laughs> yeah, the one on the right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and sometimes I'm the little guy on the left. And God is the golden retriever. Sometimes I'm the guy on the right who's been there and done that and I've come out the other side and I'm there to show other people how. We all go through messy stuff differently. But God is with us. So Corinthians talked about weaknesses and I suggested that we could actually change it to mess. Uh, you can go and do your own Greek study if you want to see whether Mike's a heretic and whether he's tampering with the word of God or not. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient. My weaknesses are imperfect in weakness and mess. My weaknesses are messes so that Christ's power may rest on me. Well, when you have a look at it in the Greek, just so you know, I did a little bit of research. The word weakness is athenaea. And asthenia refers to an ailment that deprives someone of enjoying or accomplishing what they would like to do. How cool is that? Because I know a lot of my weaknesses and a lot of my mess stops me from achieving the things I would really like to do in life. Or the things that perhaps I sense that God's calling me to do, but I feel woefully inadequate. God, how could you possibly call me to do that? I'm such a train wreck. Do, God, did you know last week I did such and such? God, did you know even right now I'm thinking about such and such, such and such? Does he know this? Asthenia, 
deprive someone of enjoying or accomplishing what they would really like to do. And I kind of like that. It also expresses the weakening influences of the illness or a particular problem. This is the translation from the Greek that I looked up. This is not me making up the meanings and stuff. It's, it's all in there. If you're a greater scholar than me, you can challenge it. I like a good challenge. It expresses the weakening influences of illness or a particular problem, especially as someone becomes wrongly or overly dependent. Not necessarily dependent on someone else, though that can happen, but dependent on sorting their own messes out and sorting their own problems out before they can move forward. 20, 30, 40 years later, you find them still stuck in the same place, talking the same old garbage about, oh, I always wanted to serve God, I always wanted to be a missionary and stuff, but you know, this happened and that happened and the other happened and, and now I'm kind of 68 and it's too old, but I always wanted... No, no, no. No, 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 you didn't understand something about inviting and letting Jesus come into your mess with you and walk through the mess with you and show you the way through to become the thing that he always wanted you to be. And yet we often get caught up and we have a particular problem and we become wrongly or overly dependent either on that problem or getting that problem totally fixed before we think God can use us. For goodness sake, how long is that going to take? And what if God does fix me in this area and I think now I'm ready to do something great for God and another area pops up that I didn't even know existed or something suddenly happens to me that changes it, then I've got another reason to not move on. Do you get the feeling that this kind of makes me a little bit cross? You know, it does. And not cross at you. Cross at humanity. Cross at the stupid little games that we play to stop us doing what God is actually asking us to do. He understands it's not an instant transformation, that you're suddenly this and now you're this. He understands it's a messy process of work. And sometimes this deconstruction of walls, as Josh said, that you know, we've put up, sometimes there's a deconstruction of that has to happen before we can move on to the next thing. Even in the midst of the deconstruction and the rubbish all over the floors and stuff, do you not perceive it? Can you not see what I'm trying to do here, God says? And you know, a few weeks ago, if you'd come and had a look around this building and stuff, you may have had some thoughts, and I have to be honest, I had some thoughts and thinking, oh my gosh, this looks worse than it did before they started. And how's this ever going to come together and get fixed? And I've done a lot of house renos where I've knocked out a wall and I've done bits and pieces, and then you think it's going to be great, it's going to open up the dining room, kitchen, lounge area, I've just smacked out that wall and everything else, and then the roof starts to sag because it was a supporting wall. And you think, I should have left well enough alone. You know, I've made it worse than it was to start with. But once you're in the middle of that mess, people recognise you've got to go through it. You either stay leaving it as a mess like that, or you have to say to God, I need to see or I need to perceive that there is a new thing coming. We're not here and there's rubble all over the floors and everything else is a bit of a mess, but we're moving forward. I'm not staying in it like this and I can't go back. Year back happened, but don't keep pulling up the past. Commit to getting through the mess with God's help and out the other side, and then you will see. I perceive that God is doing some things. I don't know the finished product, but I do know he doesn't want us to stay in this mess. Does that make sense? Oh, good. Made sense to me on, at the time. 
Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Dwell means to live. And I think in would be a good translation instead of on. Do not live in the past. Do not live or dwell on the past. I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? If there's stuff going on in in, in our lives and we don't know how God's going to fix it and we don't know how we're going to move from here to here, then we need to say to God, I don't perceive it. And perceive doesn't mean I don't see it, end of story. It means I'm not kind of getting the glimpse or the hint or the hope that there's something more coming. I, I don't see the, the, the move from here to here. I don't have a sense of progress or how this could possibly be better. And if you do that, God will say, oh, okay, so you're not really perceiving it. Okay, let's help with that. And it may even get messier before it gets better, but you can cope with that if you know that God is in the mud with you, you're up to your neck, he's only up to his ankles, and he will walk through your messy life with you. What good news is that? That is good news. Man, thank God for God. I wonder if God thanks himself. You know, thank me for being me. I I, I don't know about that. doesn't really sound that biblical, but he might be grateful for himself. Just... You know, it's not in my nose, just a random thought. <laughs> but do you seriously think that God can't use you the way he did the great biblical heroes? Oh, yeah, but hey, I'm not exactly Elijah, right? I'm not exactly a, a Daniel, and, you know, I'm not exactly King David, you know, and uh, Goliath scares me, actually. And um, Do you seriously think that he can't use you the way he did with all of our favorite biblical heroes. Well, maybe you do. I mean, they were amazing people, right? I just want to be half amazing, and that'll be amazing. And our biblical heroes were amazing. Noah got drunk. Abram was too old. Sarah was an impatient mocker. Jacob was a liar and a fraud. Not the Jacob that comes to our church, the original Jacob. Leah had eyesight problems. Joseph was the product of abusive family members. Moses was a stuttering murderer. Gideon was a coward. Samson was a partying, arrogant womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. David was a murderer and an adulterer. Does that kind of, you know, ring any bells? Anyone want to, you know, confess anything at this point? (laughs) Elijah was depressed and suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Very open to that challenge. Jonah rang from God. (laughs) And was an unforgiving moaner. Not today, no. Job went bankrupt, his children died, and he had huge boils come out all over his body. Peter was a big mouth and he denied Christ. The Samaritan woman was divorced many times. Martha was a complainer. Lazarus, to top it all off, was dead. Anyone identify with Lazarus this morning? Just raise your hand if you can. Do you seriously think that even in the midst of your mess and even though you're not a completely perfect person and even though you're not sure about the way ahead, do you seriously think God cannot take you in your messy life and use you today? Do you seriously think he can't take you in your mess, in your mess, through your mess, on top of your mess, past the mess into the new mess and use you today? Because so often we disqualify ourselves. And that's the biggest mess of all. 
We've been redeemed and we've been called to serve God and we've been set free to serve God. And I know it's a process, but at every stage in that process, there's amazing things that God is wanting you to do. And I know people have said, oh, yeah, well, you know, when I knock off smoking, then I can get baptized. Or when I get baptized, my ministry will really start. Or when I get my theology degree, then I'll really be on to it. And, you know, when I've done this and that and the other, then I'll be able to really, for goodness sake, start today. Can you not perceive it? You know, God is wanting to do a new thing in you as an individual, as us as a group, as the church international. And we get stuck on how things have been so easily. Doesn't mean how you were or how you've lived or how you've thought that it's automatically wrong. But stuff changes. Do you not perceive it? And it'll be different for you than it is for you. And it'll be different for you. And what God is saying to you about your future or what he thinks is important for you might be quite different than for me or someone else. For goodness sake, bring it home personally and say, God, I'm not getting it. Or I don't perceive it. Or I do think that I'm this and that and the other and I'm disqualified. Nearly done. I'll, I'll finish up before I get too excited. And that's what I'm finishing with. Do you seriously think God can't use you? Do you seriously think that you cannot do things as great as or greater than who we would call our biblical heroes? Do you seriously think you have to reach a certain standard of maturity and intelligence or or spirituality before God can use you? No. Is he happy with where you're at and your Christian walk and everything now? Well, yes, on one level he is because you're his kid. He's happy you're his kid. Does he want to leave you exactly where you are now? No, 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 he's got more. Even if you're in the midst of what you'd consider a horrendous mess, Money Pit's a good movie to watch. It finishes well. Life is a good movie. It can finish well if you say, God, I just need to perceive it. I need to know that you're here with me in this mess. You're walking me through this mess. And hey, guess what? You're even preparing me for the next mess that's going to turn up on Monday. Metaphorically, I'm not speaking prophetically. Well, might be, let me know. The wonderful thing is if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour and you feel like there are some things in your life are not working that well and you're not happy and content and you don't really have hope for the future because of stuff that's happening or not happening in your life, the wonderful thing is God became man through Jesus Christ and he entered into the mess of humanity because he says he knew that we couldn't do it well on our own. We were not designed to function with autonomy from God. We were not designed to function in independence from other people. We're designed to walk through life together. And if you don't know Christ as Lord and Saviour, there is a whole journey waiting for you. There is a God right now who's calling to you and he's saying, can you not perceive it? Do you not get some things stirring in you that think maybe there's another way? Maybe there's a hope. Maybe there's a chance. Maybe things could change for me. You may be in a stage of construction where what has been is slowly eroded away or it's been smashed down and you're thinking, is this it? Am I declining? Is is it all over? You may be thinking like that. Or something terrible has happened or something is sitting over your head just waiting to slam down like a giant hammer and crush you. 
Jesus came into this world to walk with you. Jesus suffered all that messy humanity could throw at him so that he could show you how to get through. Jesus showed us how to lift our heads up and to perceive the new thing. Do you not see it? Look at the trees. Look at the sparrow. Don't say I've seen sparrows and trees before because it may be that God is saying, look again because I'm going to show you something that you've never seen before. And he came to give us a hope and a future. I'm going to close, um, and I don't know if Josh wants to do anything with closing, but if anyone does not know Jesus as Lord and Saviour, um, feel free to come up and chat. Um, Josh is available here. I'd be happy to chat with people as well. Um, if you'd like to know more about who is the Saviour, who is this Jesus, who is this God who was willing to enter my mess and help me sort it. If you're a Christian person and you know that Jesus is your Saviour, but you need to see some breakthrough in some areas, you're stuck in the mud and you need a hand, come and talk at the end of the service. We'll be happy to talk with you, pray with you, and perhaps even make a wise suggestion if one comes up in my head. God bless you today.